I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Today we're traveling to Turkey, specifically eastern Turkey. I'm joined by Meli Saval. Melika Saval, she's a friend of mine who has spent her life really leading tours around Turkey. Boy, what an exciting opportunity to consider Turkey and to consider the eastern half of Turkey. Melika comes to us today from Izmir in Turkey. Meli, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me here. So when we think about Turkey, uh, of course, most people go to the West, and you've got the famous biblical sites, the footsteps of uh, Paul. Uh, you've got Istanbul, and you've got the cruise ports. But there also is a whole eastern half of Turkey that's often overlooked. What do you think about eastern Turkey? Eastern Turkey is so beautiful before anything else. If you get 1,000 painters, give them all the paint they want and ask them to put the colors down all day long, they'll be breathless by sunset, but they won't be able to put all the colors that you have in eastern Turkey. Really? The wildflowers are gorgeous. The mountains are wonderful. Everything is beautiful. Now, without overwhelming us with names we've never heard of, can you uh, lay out just briefly what the best, let's say you have two weeks to experience the eastern part of Turkey, what would that itinerary include? You can start in the city where Christians were called Christians first in the history, where St. Paul visited St. Peter in Antioch. And then from Antioch, you can go up to Mount Nemrut, where a megalomaniac wanted to compete with the gods, and he built these huge statues on top of a 9,000-foot mountain, Mount Nemrut. And then you can go down to the border of Turkey with Syria and Iraq, and you can look into Mesopotamia. You can enjoy the black stone walls of Diyarbakir. You can admire the city which was given the honor of being UNESCO's World Heritage, Mardin. And then you can go to Van. In Van, everything is a shade of blue and white. The cats are white. Their eyes are blue and green. The lake is blue, but the shores of the lake Van is pure white. The mountains are always covered with white. And you can actually have wine sitting on the fortress looking into the sunset in Van at the sanctuary where people had sacrificed animals in the name of sun. And then you can go to Mount Ararat and look for Noah's Ark, then end up in Ani, a monumental site from the Armenian era, and you can hit the Black Sea and enjoy the greenery along the shores of the Black wow. Sea. And you talked about the area right on the border of Iraq and Syria. Uh, that goes back to Old Testament history, doesn't it? Yes. Abraham was uh, born in Urfa. He was mistreated by Nimrud. He walked to Haran, took the people from Haran to Canaan. And the people in Haran, they still speak the same language that they spoke in Canaan. That's the language of Jesus. Is that right? They speak Aramaic. They speak Aramaic. Historically, everybody has always said Mesopotamia, the, the, the cradle of civilization. And the Mesopotamia is basically the Tigris and Euphrates river valleys through Iraq today. Yes, and but I, Syria. But a lot of people, they, the more they dig, the more they find that Anatolia, present-day Turkey, is the cradle of civilization. It's actually the cradle of civilization. And also, if you look at the Bible, the Genesis, where it describes where Garden of Eden is between Euphrates and Tigris, where the gold is, where onyx is, 
you can see that location is definitely on the Turkish side of Euphrates and mm. Tigris. The headwaters of Euphrates and Tigris start in Turkey. Now, you've been a tour guide basically all your adult life. All my life. You live on the west coast, Izmir, and you talk about eastern Turkey with a special warmth. I have a passion for eastern Turkey. I love it. There's not much tourism. You'd never see a well, tourist that's okay. crowd. okay. I still love it. <laughs> I know. I've been to eastern Turkey enough to know that you will never wait in line for, for a site. You won't even feel well, tourism. that's a nice part of it. We don't have that many tourists, so we can enjoy this beauty all to ourselves, and it's great. So let's talk about how it is so rich. Are there still, for instance, hay, dung, and duck economy villages? I mean, you walk around and you see these villages stuck in the past. Has modernity swept all of that sort of medieval charm away, or do you still find that? It's very rich because of its diversity. The richness comes from the difficulty of geography, so mm -hmm. the different ethnic groups could not interrelate with each other. They live in different pockets, so you go from a Kurdish region into Arabic region, into a Georgian region, into an Armenian region. So that gives the wealth, that gives the richness. When you talk about the monetary wealth, no, they don't have the monetary okay, wealth. Okay, so culturally it's rich. Culturally it's rich. Otherwise but it's poor agriculture. Otherwise it's poor agriculture. And they do live on duck and dung economy. But now, since environmentalists are searching for alternative energy, eastern Turkey is going to become very popular because they know how to use two cows' manure into a year's energy source. So is that true? The ancient method of just drying out cow pies to uh, keep your fire going, that's actually a workable modern source of fuel? It is. It's in, been in a country used, with no trees, I mean, it's It's, it's very been important. used since the time of Noah. They're still using it, so it can be modern. Now, one thing fascinating for me in this part of Turkey is the nomadic people. Tell me about the nomadic people of eastern Turkey. The nomadic people are the ones who make their living only raising animals. In geographically difficult place where it is climate-wise hard to grow anything, they have to move their livestock to the warm places so they can feed them. That's why they are still nomadic. And we have two types of nomadic people. We have the Yuruks, who came from Central Asia, and we have the gypsies. Mm -hmm. The ones who came from Central Asia, they are also called the Turkmens. Is the modern sort of vision from the government that you have to put up fences and people have to settle down and, and, and go to the regular school? Or, in other words, are these people going against the tide of modernity? They are because uh, their animals are actually a threat to forests. Mm -hmm. So the government restricts where they can go, and education is compulsory, so it's difficult while they're moving to send their children to school. So that lifestyle is becoming too difficult to handle. So the government most builds, of, builds a school and expects them to stay put, but that doesn't fit with their historic livelihood. Most of them, they have their elders live in a village, so the children go and live with the grandparents. 
go to school in summer, they join the parents in their nomadic life. Because their livelihood is... Um, Based on raising animals. Is that working today? It is still working, but it's uh, the number of nomads are decreasing tremendously. Okay. We probably now have only 15,000 nomads left. I'm talking, by the way, with Melika Seval, and Melika comes to us today from Izmir, where she lives in western Turkey, and she's a tour guide. Her website is melitour.com, M-E-L-I-T-O-U-R, Dot com. And we've got uh, people giving us a call. we got Susan in Atlanta. Thanks for your call, Susan. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it was just fascinating listening to you. I hope to make it to Istanbul one day. And um, you talked about being culturally rich. How are the people of the old way handling? Or is it like a general acceptance of the people of the old way with the people of the new modern Turkey? And if not, what would be concerns? Is there some kind of unspoken rivalry or, or, or what? Can you give me some insight on that? The Turkish people respect each other no matter what their socioeconomic background might be. So there is no rivalry at all. But there is a problem of not finding enough jobs once you are in the rural part of Turkey. So they try to move into the big cities Uh but no one looks down upon anybody because of who they might be. So is that why there's 14 million people in, in, Istanbul, in Istanbul today? And most yes. of them came from the poor regions of, yes. of Turkey, likely the east, in order to find jobs in the big city. That's correct. Wow. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm joined by Melika Seval. Meli runs a tour company. Uh, basically, Meli leads the tours. Melika, we're talking about eastern Turkey, and Mount Ararat is famous because we know Noah's Ark was up there, supposedly. Is it open to tourists now? Can people it actually is- hike on it? Mount Ararat is open to tourists, but they have to get permission. Do people visit it and hike on it? Is it open? Lots of European mountaineers, they go up, but you have to be well trained to go up to Mount Ararat. It's 5,172 meters, which is close to 18,000 feet. Wow, so it's really taller than anything in, In uh, in, in, in Europe, that's for sure. Talk a bit about the Black Sea coast, because this is sort of an underrated, often overlooked part of Turkey. The eastern part of Black Sea coast is completely covered with rainforest and uh, tea plantations, hazelnuts. The amount of hazelnuts produced in the northeast part of Turkey is more than any other producer of hazelnuts, including Oregon, because it rains more there than it does in Portland. And they're different than our hazelnuts because you can crack them. Crack them with your teeth. It's a beautiful (laughs) thing. I was with Melly on a tour through the Black Sea Coast, and as just a friendly gesture, I remember some kid from a farm put a whole sack of hazelnuts. I mean, it was a big sack. He tossed them into the bus, and we're all just breaking the hazelnuts with our teeth. Now, these are Laz people. Yes, these are Laz people who had come from northern part of the Black Sea, and they still have their own music. They have a strong accent, though they've been living in Anatolia for about 4,000 years or 2,000 years. And they are basically fishermen. If they're not picking tea or hazelnut, then they're hunting, they're fishing in the Black Sea. And they dance like the sardines that they caught in the net. How is that? They wiggle their shoulders. They love to dance. They're just a f- yes. uh, fun-loving people. Tell me also about Silk Road sites. There's a wonderful history of the Silk Road, and that ties in with caravansarais. The Silk Roads came to the west through Anatolia. One branch of it went to Trabzon. So if you go to the Black Sea part of Turkey, you'll see many stone bridges over wild rivers, 
which carried the caravans, allowed the caravans to go from one side of the forest to the other one. And my favorite caravan sarai is off Van, near Lake Van. The name is El Aman, which means I've had enough caravan sarai. So coming over Asia, they must have had enough. So they named that caravan sarai, I've had enough. And, and just paint a picture here. It's like the medieval economy, and they've got these camel caravans coming all the way from Mongolia. And every day's march apart, there would be a, a fortified place for them to park their camels and store their valuables and tell stories and gather around the fire and, and, and get equipped and then carry on to the next place. Is that? Am I painting the picture the way it was? That is the picture. And in fact, the people would listen to what other people had to say in terms of stories or songs or music. And then when they went to another caravan, they would remember what they heard. They would try to tell the story. They might forget the name of the heroes, so they'll make up names. So the same stories with different names will continue from one culture to another. Fascinating thing to study, and there's actually tours built on the Silk Road. I just did 43 days on the Silk Road. 43 43 days? 43 days from Xi'an to Kushadis. Wow. Now, there are so many ways when you're traveling in eastern Turkey to find slices of the culture, but you're not going to find a list of famous museums as much as just being on the ball. And when you see something, stop and check it out. I was going through eastern Turkey with Melly once with a bus, and we found a stadium with must have been 300 high school kids uh, filling the stadium. We stopped the bus. We went inside, and all these kids were thrusting their fist up in the air, screaming, we are a secular nation. We are a secular nation. Tell me about that, Melly, because I was very curious about that. Well, Turkish people take pride in being secular. Since 1924, since caliphate was abolished, Turkish people have faced the difficulty of standing against all the other Muslim countries and prove that Islamic country can be democratic and secular. So we want to keep that. So these high school kids were not against God. They were just celebrating the fragile separation of mosque and state in your country. Yes. Another day, we'd stumble into a town, and we'd find a bunch of people at a funeral. And the whole town was involved in that, and everybody was crowding around to help carry the coffin. What what was that? The meaning of that is that we are all giving a shoulder to share the pain of losing this beloved one. In all of Muslim traditions, you will see that. You might have seen it on Iraqi images. Uh, So when we see a a commotion around a coffin, everybody's trying to get in there. Everyone is trying to give a shoulder. So one person might carry the coffin for two, three steps, and then the person in the back will run to the front, and they will give a shoulder to the front. Now, uh, on another experience, I met a guy, and he was looking at a girl and called her a pistachio. (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) That means you're very sweet and very cute. A pistachio. Pistachio. Oh, she's quite a pistachio. Yes. And then another person called somebody a Maltese, had a face like a Maltese plum. Oh, God forbid. That means if you are really ugly, then they'll call you Maltese plum. Maltese plum is a beat-up little apricot kind of, right? I kind mean, of. It just looks... It has, uh, naturally, it has black <laughs> marks in it. And when we're traveling around in eastern Turkey, a lot of times you hear... When the women are, are celebrating or something, what is that all about? I don't know what that is called, but the Kurdish people generally, and also in Bulgaria, I hear they make that noise with their tongue. When they're joyful, they just... When they're joyful, when when they are stressed as well, when they have uh, problems or mourning, Hmm. they do the same thing. It's just a reflection of emotions. We have Nikhil on the phone in Michigan. Hi, Nikhil. 
Hi, Rick. Hi, Molly. Hi. Um, my question is regarding Turkey's potential EU membership. Um, do the people of Eastern Turkey feel that the EU might possibly threaten their local economies and culture? We don't want to be a member of EU in a way because we don't think that Turkey will be accepted to EU with our norms. And the European community is a club. Certainly they have their own norms and their norms are not necessarily good for Turkey. We don't believe European community is a democratic society or union because only 15 stars represent 29 states. So mm -hmm. we don't want to be a member of it. But if we can be partner, if we can be business partner to Europe, that will be good enough. That's, okay, thanks that's, for the info. It's a great show. Thanks, thanks. Nico. That is interesting, and you don't think that's just your opinion. You think that the majority of Turks now see that membership in the European Union is not in their best interest. It is not in our best interest. Turkey really is emerging as the cultural center of a vast Turkic collection of peoples. I mean, how many how many millions of people are Turkic uh, people? The Turkish people, which West call them Turkic people, live in Turkey, in Azerbaijan, in southern part of Russia, in Central Asia, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Karakal, Pakistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, in the Altai Mountains of Mongolia and western part of China, which is Xinjiang Autonomous uh, State. So it's a huge big population Roughly. of about uh, half a million. Half a and billion, 72 meaning. million lives in Turkey. Half a billion. Half a billion. 500 million Turkic people who speak languages related to Turkish. Ural Altaic languages. And do, do they look to, to Istanbul as the cultural capital of that region? They call Istanbul the father of the Turks, and they call their land the mother of the Turks. I have seen that in Central Asia. It's very interesting. They still consider the Turks the father of the Turks. Fascinating. And also Turkish economy is developing because we have very good educated, big population, and Turkey is becoming a good market. So Europe will have to do something with us, but not necessarily take us as a member. I think there's a constructive alternative there where Turkey is a trading partner and a friend of Europe. Yes. Melika Saval coming to us from Izmir in Turkey. Uh, again, Meli's website is melitour.com, M-E-L-I-T-O-U-R.com. Meli, it's always great to talk to you, and happy travels, and we've got to do some more Turkey together sometime soon. Yes, Rick. Thank you. Bye. Rick's weekly one-hour radio program, Travel with Rick Steves, airs in more than 100 cities across the country. Listen to podcasts of past shows in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Rick's public television series, Rick Steves Europe, also airs throughout the USA. You'll find the latest on Rick's TV and radio work, as well as his guidebooks and his free-spirited European tour program at ricksteves.com.